We are back again. It is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. We are here to give you a standalone episode here today. Last week we closed out Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Today we're going to take us through the movie, The Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And there is a reason we decided with the timeline to kind of cover this film at this point in time throughout the year because with this episode dropping today, uh, August 20th is the anniversary of the original Black Panther uh, Chadwick Boseman's passing. So we definitely wanted to do something special. It's exactly why we're doing uh, the standalone episode here today. You know, we will go ahead and get started here in a second, but just kind of want to get a moment of silence here uh, for Chadwick Boseman and, and really appreciate what he was able to bring to us on screen and as a person as well, and uh, really brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. So we're going to get a moment of silence and then we'll kick it over to Chase, say a few words, and then we'll get started. All right. All right, my man, Chase, uh, you want to say a few words before I go ahead and dive in? I know you took us through Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, so I'll probably go ahead and be the one to guide us through this one. But anything you want to say before we jump into it? Yeah, man. No, this is awesome. It's uh, first time ever on Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy that we've gotten to cover a Black Panther movie. So I know it was kind of in like our first pilot, part of our first pilot episode. We had like the rankings that was black panther the original was included in there but really cool first time we've gotten to cover a black panther film and i love black panther it's full of action uh and and this one really gives tribute to chadwick boseman so uh, rest in peace and uh you know hearts and uh best thoughts and wishes and prayers go out to him and his his family now so uh with that i'll turn it over to you man take it away that sounds like a plan to jump into this film. Uh, the movie opens with Shuri, and she's pleading to their god to allow her to be able to save her brother from his illness. And what I found really interesting about this is is very similarly to how it was portrayed in this film, in real life, no one even knew that Chadwick Boseman had an illness. He didn't disclose it to the public, and none of us knew until you know he tragically passed away and it, it it's almost like they kept that theme for this film too that you know he suffered in silence and uh didn't didn't bring it up here and so i thought it was really cool how they kind of made a drew a full circle in the film itself and so uh while she's trying to, to save her brother king t'challa's heart rate drops to 31 beats per minute to give you guys an idea uh, a normal heart rate is anywhere between like 40 to 60 beats and 40s if you're like a supreme athlete like a triathlete someone in really great shape but really typically a, a normal resting heart rate's around 60 beats per minute and his is half of that meaning he's he's falling fast uh, they tell her that some of the people come in and they tell her that she should be by her brother's side and she tells them that she needs to think and she kicks everybody out and Grio, which is kind of like I would say Shuri's version of Jarvis, you know, the AI, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a creature because it's not, but the AI uh, yeah, unit tells Shuri that the medicine it's about to produce has a minimal chance of having the desired effect of healing T'Challa. But Shuri doesn't care. She says it has to work. And the machine creates this uh, medicinal herb and Shuri takes it. And as she's about to go to T'Challa, their mother, Queen Ramonda walks in and she has this solemn look on her face. And Shuri asks 
uh, Grio what her brother's heart rate is. And Grio does not answer. Instead, Ramona answers her and says, your brother is with the ancestors. And so, just like we didn't really get to see anything in real life, uh, we didn't get to see on screen the passing either. It just kind of happened. And uh, at this point, the scene shifts to T'Challa's funeral. In their native language, the eulogy says, we give thanks for the gift of King T'Challa, the Black Panther, son of King T'Chaka, my son, descendant of the most revered King Bashanga, the first Black Panther. We release you, praise the ancestors. And then they lay T'Challa to rest. Well, I thought it was really cool too. They have the celebration of life. They're all dressed up in white and they carry the casket singing a lamenting song, but it's, it's almost upbeat and, and uh, you know, like I said, celebrating his life. And as they set the casket down, Shuri gets emotional and says her final goodbye to her brother's body in that like entombed casing that almost looks like a casket. But obviously, you know, Wakanda has insane resources, so I'm sure that the material was something that you know we don't really have access to outside of Wakanda. But uh, the ship from above beams the casket up, and the Wakandians salute him with their arm with the, the, the patented arm cross. And the title sequence hits. And what I thought was cool about this title sequence is normally it shows a bunch of things of all Marvel coming in. But this time the sequence of everything in the, the Black Panther was just Chadwick Boseman and some cool moments that he had on screen. So I thought that was really fucking awesome. Then after the title sequence hits, the screen says one year later and the scene shifts to the United Nations and they're gathering in Geneva, Switzerland. They welcome Queen Ramonda in. One of the members representing what they called Etats Unis, which is the United States, uh, says to the chairperson that they're disappointed in Wakanda's failure of sharing resources regarding vibranium. Queen Ramonda tells them that it's always been Wakanda's policy to never trade vibranium because of the potential of what the other countries would use it for, you know, not using it for good. And at this point, as she's had given this speech, we get a cut scene to the Wakandan outreach center in Asango, Mali, and the center is under attack. And the French military troops storm in and demand access to the vibranium where it's located. So as that's happening, the scene moves back to Ramonda in the United Nations meeting. And she's telling the United Nations that their king is dead. The Black Panther is gone. She says, now is our time to strike. And that's when the scene shifts back to the outreach center. And the door that opens has Wakandian defenders behind it. And they're ready for battle. Even the lab scientist, she pulls out these vibranium daggers and cuts off the end of the lead mercenary's gun. The rest start firing. And the Wakandan fighters deflect the bullets with their armor. Battle's on. And they are... uh, What I thought was really cool, too, is uh, Annika and Okoye are, like, chatting while they're fighting. They're just having a regular conversation. Like, they're not doing anything in the world. And Annika, uh, Okoye goes, Annika, where's your spear? And Annika goes, uh, sure, you gave me these to try. I like these better. Like, she's just trying on weapons for the first time, not really concerned about her life at all. Like, they, they had no problem from these French mercenaries. They were so confident. I just thought that was really cool. But long story short, they take out the mercenaries. The scene cuts back to Queen Ramonda telling the UN that there was another attack on their outreach facilities last night with proof of involvement of a member state in the UN. And it's going to be uploaded to their devices as they speak. And then the doors open and the Wakandian defenders of the facility walk in with the prisoners they took from the attack. And we realize they are indeed from France. And that's a bad look for the French ambassador there at the United Nations. At this point, Ramonda basically closes her statement saying that just because their king is gone does not mean Wakanda is weak and unable to protect the resources. She says that any further attempt will be considered an act of aggression 
and will be met with a steeper response. And she wishes them all the best of luck finding Vibranium outside of Wakanda. And at this point, the scene moves to a, a mobile mining station in the Atlantic Ocean and even has like this helipad where helicopters can land on. Uh, there's this drill bit underwater and it made contact with a metallic substance and it was so strong that it ruined the drill and they think it may be Vibranium because there was this Vibranium detector that gave them an idea that something was in the area. At this point, the rig goes dark. And they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening here. Uh, there's two of these scientists underwater in, in their full suits that are able to breathe. And they're kind of giving updates up to their command center. And what's really cool is it starts off with just kind of some marine life. Like there's a phantom jellyfish that floats towards Salazar and Jackson. Those are the two people's names. And Salazar said she's never seen one that color. And the command post above the water says that they lost Jackson's vitals and asks Salazar if she can see him. And she looks around and she realizes, oh, shit, no, he's fucking gone. And then all of a sudden Salazar's signal is lost. And then one of the workers notices something in the water. It almost looks like dots creeping along the surface. And then we hear this haunting sound. And all the workers are almost entranced, and they start jumping into the water voluntarily. And it really reminded me of old Greek mythology, like, almost like the sirens, like the siren songs when it lured the, the, the captains and the, the, cat, the, the ships in there. Is that what you kind of thought of, too, when you saw the chase? You know what it made me think of? It reminded me of in Harry Potter and the Triwizard Tournament, the Vila, when they were like about to step off the trestle and were getting entranced. But a lot more eerie, man. It, it was awesome. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. And then so eventually the captain fires his gun and the song stops and, and uh, one of the people kind of snaps out of it and you think he's about to go and get away from the water but he gets like slammed by the spear and thrown up against the fucking wall so that guy's dead and all of a sudden these blue people jump from the fucking water onto the mobile mining station and start just mowing through these fuckers. And, almost, and like... What it looked like at first, and at first I, you know, before getting an idea of what these things were, I thought they were mer creatures in a way, you know, uh, but they almost looked like avatars from Pandora, you know, just not, not the same size. Obviously, those things are like nine foot tall, but these blue people were just kind of looked like that a little bit. Uh, only Dr. Graham and the pilot were able to get away on the helicopter, except they actually don't. They're about to, and all of a sudden, they get fucking pulled back, which is insane, because all you see after they get pulled back in the, and spun around and their helicopter smashes into the sea is just this figure standing there, like, levitating, floating in the fucking air. And it's the wildest sequence. And at, at this point, uh, the scene moves to Wakanda. And Shuri is working on something, and her mother, Queen Ramondo, arrives. She asks Shuri if she's made any progress on the heart-shaped herb, and she tells Shuri that the Black Panther is a mantle. And Shuri responds that she was trying to save her brother, not save the Black Panther. So her mother sees that she's having trouble with, like, accepting the passing of her brother, and she ends up taking Shuri to this sacred area. It's, like, by this beach, and... Uh, Ramonda tells Shuri that just because T'Challa is dead doesn't mean that he's gone and she tells him about her own spiritual experience about how he felt she felt his presence pushing her into you know going forward in, in life and stuff and, and Shuri basically tells her that it's not that wasn't really him it was just a construct of her mind to offer her comfort so uh, <clears throat> Ramonda keeps trying to you know, get her on this, this path here and tells Shuri that they should burn their funeral garments as a symbol of ending the mourning period, but only Ramonda throws her garments in the, the flame. Shuri doesn't, 
And at this point where this conversation kind of peaks here, this elephant just starts freaking out out of nowhere. And while it's freaking out, they kind of come to alert there, grab their spears, and we see this stranger. And he appears on this is like these feathers and wings from his ankles. He's flying from his ankles, almost look like Hermes, the old god that was like the messenger god in Greek mythology. Really interesting. But he introduces himself as Kulakula. I can't say it, so sorry. But I'm gonna go by the other name. Introduce himself as, which is Namor, because that's a lot easier. <laughs> and in any event, that we essentially learn that he it's, is. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say the name. I actually know his name. Believe it. Yeah, go ahead, it's, man. Uh, Kukunan, Kukuan, or okay, I fucked it up. Yeah, oh, come in here and say that you <laughs> know it, and then just fuck it up, you wild person. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, he ends up introducing himself as his other name, which is Namor, uh, and he says that's his name to his enemies. So we already know that some shit's about to pop off. Essentially, we learn that he is the leader of the uh, Telokanil, which is the blue people, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. And he tells uh, Queen Ramonda that because T'Challa showed the world vibranium that an American scientist created a vibranium detector and that's how they came across their home in the sea. And he tells her they should work together to keep their resources to themselves and take out the scientist who created the detector. He tells her that he has an army which has as many people as Wakanda does blades of grass. That was a wild like, uh, like, like proclamation of how big your army is. Like We have a person for every blade of grass you have in this country, that's insanity. But in any event, he said he would hate to return under less pleasant circumstances. So really what he's doing, there's an underlying threat here. Like, hey, either you're going to help me out or you're going to you know, wish you helped me out. <laughs> right? So uh, at this point, he leaves them to ponder this. And it's kind of wild that he was able to penetrate Wakanda's defenses so easily. We, we think about Wakanda and how they, they have the craziest barriers and no one's able to get in there. And this guy was able to do it with, with ease and he wasn't even alone. It was pretty wild. What did you think about that when this first happened? Like, oh shit, this guy just fucking like, appeared? Like, what did you think about that, dude? Yeah, man. I mean, I'll let you get into it later, like some of his abilities. But dude's a badass, man. This guy's fucking awesome. It, it was a... Uh really cool and i really like they kind of brought in more of like the water perspective in here it's a very interesting take on things but i'll let you take it away for sure and at this point this shook them so bad that queen ramonda ended up holding a council of, of everyone in wakanda and it was cool because we got to see mbaku again and he was that big burly dude that challenged t'challa back in the first black panther for the throw the, for the mantle and you know t'challa beat him it was it was still cool i saw always liked him he was funny and uh he, he's a good warrior too so any event he's upset that they didn't fight the intruder which would have been a big mistake obviously now that when we find out what actually this guy's capable of but i thought it was interesting too and this is just a shout out for other people who are fans of the ufc the, the mma fighting organization there was a cameo and the person that M'Baku is is yelling at for not defending the queen is actually Kamaru Usman, who was the former uh, welterweight champion of the world. So it was really cool that he was in this movie and that, that he had that spot right there. I, I noticed him immediately. I was like, holy shit, that's Kamaru Usman. But uh, yeah, anyways, they debate if they should just give Namor the American scientist that he wants and be done with it. But M'Baku makes the point and tells him, well, you know, what's going to stop him from asking for other things if we do this for him? So, 
now they decided, all right, we're not going to do that. We got to go protect the scientists and make sure that like these blue people don't get their fucking hands on. So Okoye is about to go in the field. Ramonda doesn't want Shuri to go, but Okoye tells her that it might be the best thing for Shuri to go in the field because she's kind of just wasting away in this lab nonstop trying to make this herb, heart-shaped herb thing work. And just, you know, she seems salty towards the uh, just even being alive. She's just so angry at the world right now. So she thinks that Okoye thinks it's a good idea to just get her out of there and get her into the field. And so the first thing they do is they go see Special Agent Ross, who... In his mind, he thought it was the Wakandians who took out the squad in the Atlantic. And he said it was a joint operation of some of the best agents and Navy SEALs. And Navy SEALs are nothing to scoff at. The training and shit they go through, those are some badasses. And, but the, the, the people that went through them you know, just were on another level. And so that's why uh, Ro- Agent Ross thought it was the Wakandians. In any event, Koya and Shuri ensured him that the Wakanda had nothing to do with it. They were not responsible. And we learned that the scientists that... The, that Namor is after and wants to kill so bad is actually a college student. And the scene at this point shifts to MIT, which is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It's a very, very prestigious school. Uh, Ramonda tells Okoye and Shuri to bring the student back to Wakanda. They basically need to get her out of that area. So Shuri ends up taking point on this because she's younger and looks more like a student. And Shuri learns that the student built a detector for a school project and that the CIA took it. And it only took her a couple months to build. So this this scientist, this kid is like a genius prodigy. She's able to do things that grown-ass adults can't do and, and is, is more intelligent and able to put things together in a way that, you know, not many people on the planet can. So and it's interesting, too, because she's only a, a child, essentially. You know, she's still a student. But... In any event, they have a little bit of fun of trying to get her to leave with them. She throws a speaker at Koyeb and she puts her spear up and it cuts the speaker in half. And, and they, they're almost like laughing at her efforts because she tries to run to the bathroom and the other girl pops out. She's like, I told you, I gave you six minutes. I told you I was going to give you five. You couldn't get her to go. Let's get her now. Which I thought it was just really funny, some of the comedy there. But they end up going to this garage that I think the – her name is Riri Williams, but the, the, the student uh, – like I, I guess the student scientist, I'll call her, but Riri Williams, they go to her garage to get a few things, and it almost kind of doubles as a safe house, but the FBI shows up, and they're there to detain Riri, Riri and take her. But, obviously, with Okoye and Shuri, we've got this whole badass high-speed chase thing where they escape from this garage, and, and I thought this was actually pretty badass, too. Riri had an Iron Man-like suit that she was using they were asking her to fly and all of a sudden you know she the light comes on it and she's in this iron man suit here i don't know man what did you think about it did it give you some tony stark vibes with the little uh the the chest plate there and all that yeah uh in the comics actually because you know i'm a big comic guy she's actually referred to as they refer to her as iron heart because it's so similar to iron man as like a uh you know like a nod to tony stark so and I don't know too much about the entire backstory, but I do know they call her that at one point because it's a nod to Tony because the suit is so similar. So really cool stuff. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I, I, I did see because I had to look at the cast a few times to get an idea of whose names were what. I did see that uh, she was referred to as Ironheart even in the casting, although they never called her that in this film. And I was curious if they were going to maybe towards the end just give her that nickname but never did but i did see that in the cast if you just look up the the wakanda forever cast uh her 
her actress is and it has the name of the character she plays it says Ironheart so pretty cool uh, good you gave us that but that backstory on that for the comics and in any event we go into this high-speed chase with the CIA and the feds and obviously these guys are no match for Wakanda and what you know Okoye and Shuri are capable of and even Riri Williams with her suit there end up taking out the drone that was able to pinpoint their location and keep the feds on them and they were able to escape the feds there and just when they think everything's all fine and dandy what happens the Tolokanil blue people attack and they try to kill Riri and I thought this was kind of badass here Okoye she takes out her spear and ready to fucking fight these things and it's funny because again with the casting thing I had to figure out what the the female lead uh, blue person or, or, or Tolokan's name was and it was Namora so it's like Namor but with an A at the end so it's probably his love interest right it's what it would make sense to me anyways but she basically tells uh, the other one uh, Atuma which is the, the guy lead that you know go ahead and take out Okoye get this girl out of here so we can get the scientists and get on with it Little they know Okoye is a badass and is able to wield that spear and she ends up fighting her ass off, does her damn thing, and she ends up taking out a bunch of them and it looks cool and everything is, is great, they're all laying on the ground, but all of a sudden they get up off the ground. I'm like, whoa, wait, they didn't actually die? <laughs> like, that's kind of crazy. Uh, they, uh, yeah, it was insane. But uh, yeah, Atuma, the lead uh, Tolkien Blue Warrior, goes one-on-one -on -one with Okoye at this point and she puts up a pretty good fight, but it's just not good enough. You know, it reminded me of uh, the old Dragon Ball Z when Vegeta was Super Saiyan and he was trying to take on the androids. He took out the cool, the, 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 the ugly androids, like, uh, you know, the, the one that was like the clown, the fat clown, and the one that was like the that android. <laughs> yeah, and then the one that was the uh, the, the double of Jiro. Obviously, Android 18 and 19, or, or I'm sorry, 17 and 18 are the ones that ended up doing it, but he ended up running away because he didn't want to fucking fight Super Saiyan Vegeta. But then Super Saiyan Vegeta is like, alright, well, I'll go ahead and take out these androids, and he puts up a fight, but then remember Android 18, she kicks him in the arm and fucking breaks that shit. <laughs> like, so just one of those things, they put up a fight, but just not enough, man. That's kind of the, the comparison I, I drew here in this point. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, did, did you get anything different from that? Yeah, no, it was badass. Side note real quick, uh, that's my favorite, one of my favorite moments in Dragon Ball Z. He said, does a machine like you experience fear? And it was badass. But also another note, uh, speaking of fear, uh, Okoye, that's her name, right? Did I get it right? Okoye? When uh, Atuma hit her and she blocked it with that spear, that spear shook. And, you know, she's a badass. Okoye is. We saw her in avengers infinity war and uh you know how she defended the planet with black widow and uh also the other one there i can't remember who the third person was but uh, point being was when atuma hit that spear she realized wow man like these guys aren't something to be fucked with <laughs> it was badass back to you jay nelly yeah man that was a great point so yeah, like I said, they supposed to get a fight, it's not enough, and they end up taking Riri and Shuri after Shuri uses it as a translator in her ear to their native tongue. Uh, and she asks, Shuri asks Atuma and Namora to take her to Namor, and she ends up going with uh, Riri Williams. And at this point, Daybreak hits, and the CIA is trying to make sense of what happened there. The scene shifts back to Wakanda. Okoye tries to explain what happened to Queen Ramonda and asked to go try and retrieve Shuri, 
but Ramonda ain't having it. She's pissed. She's fucking angry. Blames her for basically everything. She's like, I got no fucking family left. I told you she's not ready for the field. You convinced me otherwise, and you fucking lost her. Like, basically tore into her, made her feel real fucking bad, and even stripped her of her rank of general. So, you know, she was definitely not having it. And at this point, uh, uh, Queen Ramonda ends up going to the other room after she had done that and, and stripped uh, Okoye of her ranking and asked Grio if... Uh, it can track her using the Kimoyo beads. And at this point, the scene goes back to the CIA agents, and Agent Ross has those Kimoyo beads. And Ramonda has a quick conversation with him about what's going on, but she can't disclose much because she doesn't know if she should tell him about this other superpower that's in play here with the, like, the Tolokans, right? So, anyways, Grio, the AI machine, tells Ramonda that it lost her earring uh, tracking somewhere near the North Atlantic, but tells her that the the language that it last translated for was spoken in Yucatec Mayan. So from there, Ramonda, Queen Ramonda, she goes to see Nakia. And if you guys remember who Nakia is, it was actually T'Challa's love interest. And um, she uh, asks her to infiltrate the Tolokanil nation because she was supposed to be this really great spy who's infiltrated many nations and fucking badass at it. So she asks for her help, even though she's in Haiti, supposed to be like away from everything. And, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. But at that point, the scene cuts to the, to, the to local Nil city and Shuri and Riri are alive and the people give Shuri clothes to wear and she ends up going with them to meet in more. And before that point in time, the scene cuts to the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, and it's Nakia. She's asking an elder woman about Namor and where to find the beach where she saw him at. And the elder woman tells her, but also gives her the warning: "Hey, if you go there with ill intent, no one's ever really returned. So be careful." And that's when the scene moves back to Shuri, and she enters a room and meets face to face with Namor. And at this point, uh, Namor gives the backstory of his mother. It was a flashback to the year 1571 A.D. in Zama and how his mother was pregnant and was convinced to take this plant that was going to keep their people safe because the conquistadors were coming in, the colonizers were coming in to wipe them fucking out. And they ended up taking the plant, and they quote-unquote died, but then they rose again and turned blue and had to get to the water because they weren't breathing regular oxygen. They had to breathe oxygen through the water like they were fish of sorts. Uh, but So all of these people were, were like that, and he ended up being born under the water with this, and because he was... You know, technically, in, he was incepted as an, uh, as growing in her stomach a real normal human, but then she transitioned to one of these Tolokans. He ends up being kind of like the best of both worlds. He is is born with these wings on his ankles and pointy ears. He can do both, breathe water and air, and. You know, so that's where this hybrid Namor guy was born. And again, this is back in the 1500s. So he is got years and years of experience on everyone and just fucking powerful and just knows a whole lot too. So fucking cool. But in any event, his, his mother, she missed the land that she was like born on. And so he buried her on her home soil and killed the conquistadors that were there. And one of the conquistadors named him El Nino Sin Amor, which in Spanish means a child without love. And so what he did, he just kind of condensed that and took the name No More, which is like No Love, as his, like, his name, and that's the essential translation. So at this point, Shuri asks him to allow her to take Riri to Wakanda and promises No More that uh, 
that Riri will not leave. Like she'll just stay there in Wakanda, almost as like a glorified prisoner, as as a ward, you know, kind of like Theon in, in Game of Thrones with the Starks. But uh, Namor says he can't risk it, so they continue their conversation, and it comes across that Shuri wants to see the underwater civilization, and she's given a special suit, and Namor takes her to their underwater city called the Tolokan. And it's the capital city, and it is beautiful. It reminds me of underwater Pandora in a way, in some ways, dude. Like I said, there's a lot of uh, comparisons I can draw between Avatar, the finding Pandora with these blue people, to what these Tolokanels really look like. So, in any event, she really enjoys it, and he almost like, it seems like he enjoys her enjoying it. Like, you know, he's happy that they're almost coming together in a way, but she still ends up telling him, like, look. Like, uh, all this is great, but I still can't let you take out the scientists. She's like, she's like, we still have to, you know, protect her. And at this point, the scene moves to Nakia, and she's at the beach, and she's found Shuri's location. Queen Ramona tells Nakia to retrieve the princess by any means necessary. And that's where the scene cuts back to Shuri, and she's having a conversation with Namor. And she opens up a bit about failing to save T'Challa. And Namor gives her words of encouragement, and she's even having a deeper conversation with him about her brother than she's had with anybody else. So it was interesting their connection there. But she ends up telling him that she can again that she cannot let him kill the young scientist. That, and he tells her it's more important now that uh, the service people will try and come for them and the resources. And he needs to know if Wakanda is going to be an enemy or an ally for when this eventuality comes to pass. And Namor continues on and tells her that he basically plans to wage war on the entire world. And that the Tolokans and the, Wakand- the Wakandians can either stand by each other's side or that Wakanda will be the first to fall. He says that Wakanda cannot win a war with, with Tolokan. And from here, the scene moves to the CIA and we learn that the President of the United States wants to attack Wakanda. And Agent Ross advises against it and says there could be another power at play and that he needs more time to investigate this properly. And so that at this point, when he gets out of that room, he calls Queen Ramonda and says they have a problem. And this is where the scene shifts over to Kural Velo and Namor meets with Ramonda and he threatens her that he will kill Shuri and go to Wakanda and kill her too if she reveals their existence. Because that's kind of what Queen Ramonda was threatening to do. Like, hey, I can I can give you some sort of like a bargaining chip. Like I will like if you don't give me my daughter back, I'll reveal your location to everybody. And he's like, You do that, I'll kill her and I'll kill you. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if you want to do all that. So um, from there while Queen Miranda is kind of distracting them more, we see uh, the scene goes back to Shuri and, and Nakia arrives for the rescue mission. And her gun that she uses actually kills one of these uh, Tolokans. It's a sonic round, and we learn that sonic rounds are lethal to these people. So Nakia gets them out of there into the surface, and the Wakandian ship beams them up, and they are en route back to Wakanda. From there, the scene moves to the underwater city. Namora is holding the woman who was hit with the sonic round as she dies. At this point, Namora's pissed off and raises the city and they're fucking ready for war. From here, Shuri gets back to Wakanda and wants to fortify the underwater sonic barriers and, you know, they thought it was cool. They all say the war spy saves Wakanda again, meaning Nakia. And Okoye meets with Nakia. Nakia tells her that she couldn't handle T'Challa's passing and that's why she left the Haiti and has been there, you know, kind of like solitarily over there but we actually find out later the exact reason why she was on Haiti alone away from everyone else and at this point while they're having this conversation we hear we, we see like this water explosion and Wakanda's under attack Ramonda orders Shuri to stand down but she doesn't listen she gets in that damn ship 
and the Tilokanils start their chanting, and some of the citizens of Wakanda start doing the same thing the other uh, people did on the mining ship and jump into the water, just like the siren song, just like the Vilas that Jace was saying. And uh, Agriot tells them that they are suffering from a form of sonic hypnosis, so they all start plugging them ears. And M'Baku comes in, he starts fighting hand-to-hand combat as uh, Namor rises from the water. M'Baku tries to take Namor out, but it's no match. Namor actually blocks from behind the club attack. It shatters the club, then punches M'Baku straight in his armor, shattering his breastplate, sending him flying across the fucking land. That shit was nasty, bro. That was crazy. But at that point, this dude uh, is flying by his ankles, and he's taking on full-ass ships. So this dude is a problem. Like, Namor is this battle machine. He's flying through the air. Not only is he taking out the people who are trying to fight, he's taking out these full-blown ships with... Like, it's not just regular ships either. These are Wakandian ships. These guys have the top-of-the-line materials, and they got the most badass nation on the planet, and he's, like, cutting through them like a hot knife through butter. It's wild. Um... In any event, he ends up taking out Shuri's ship and flies directly at Ramonda. Throws his spear at the glass. The spear doesn't break the window. It cracks it, though. Then he launches a bunch of water bombs. And the water bombs do explode and, and just destroy the window there and submerge Ramonda and Riri underneath uh, all of the water that comes into those bombs. Now... Ramonda and Riri are submerged. And uh, Ramonda ends up swimming to get Riri while Riri's unconscious underwater. And while she's trying to get there, the scene moves to Okoye and Nakia getting to the throne room, and they find the queen and Riri unconscious. So, like, Ramonda's face down in the water, Riri's kind of face up laying on her back, both are unconscious, don't know what's going to happen here. Now, Namor warns them, and, like, as they're trying to resuscitate, they're trying to do some CPR and resuscitate uh, Ramonda and Riri, and Namor warns them, he says, she did this, talking about uh, Ramonda, Queen Ramonda, she says, she did this. In one week's time, I will return with my entire army, and you will join us against the surface world, or I will wash Wakanda from the face of the earth. Bury your dead, mourn your losses, and he points at Shuri and he says, you are queen now. And then he leaves, and they resuscitate Riri, but try as hard as they may, they cannot revive Queen Ramonda, she is dead. And now the scene moves to like some sort of burial. It's not the same kind of ceremony that T'Challa had. It's just kind of uh, Shuri out there in, in white with like the ceremonial you know, stuff on her face. And then Baku comes out and speaks with her, tries to offer her some comfort, and asks like her thoughts on what they want to do going from there. Like uh, if they want to set up camp in, in Jabari Land where he is, they, they kind of reside that their their warriors kind of protect. But it's it's still left undecided, and that's where. The scene moves over to the CIA director, and I think she was the ex-wife of Agent Ross, Special Agent Ross, but in any event, she drops the bombshell that she's had those beads bugged and has listened to every conversation that Agent Ross has had with Queen Ramonda, and basically named him a, a, a traitor, says those are treasonous conversations, and uh, she knew all the conversations there they were having and, and, and goes to you know use that to, to kind of make the United Nations next move, or at least the United States next move. And that's where the scene, at that point, the scene moves to Riri and Shuri, and they're in the lab trying to figure out how to weaken Namor. And Shuri says that though her brother is dead, that doesn't mean the Black Panther is gone, and they start getting to work. Uh, and they decide, after kind of you know discussing some you know thoughts out loud, they get to the, the conclusion that 
they're going to try to dry him out with uh, like a, like a, this pervaporation sort of technique where they realize he's strongest when he's got water to in like in it basically his, his skin absorbs the water and gives him oxygen so they think if they dry him out they're going to be able to weaken him like a pervaporator now from here the uh, shuri shows okoye a new suit to even the odds against the tokens cuz you know obviously okoye tried already when they escaped from the college and you know she did really well but it wasn't enough and now Zushuri made this brand new suit and it's got some bells and whistles on it and we're gonna see if uh, this ends up evening the odds a little bit now <clears throat> they continue to start working on talking about Shuri and Riri and they're still working on this uh, this heart-shaped herb and they're putting these things together and all of a sudden all, the whole damn movie it kept going red, red, red. Like the weeds were turning white, and like only parts of it, like one or two bees, were green. All of a sudden, the majority of the whole entire thing lit up green. And she asks what the confidence. She asks agree uh, what the confidence rate is. And this heart-shaped herb has a 98.7% confidence rate, like the highest that it's been. So at this point, they Nakia shows up, and they talk about how this would be the greatest gift to Wakanda since the discovery of Vibranium and the original Black Panther. And then Shuri tells Griot to print it. So Griot prints it, and it glows, which means it worked. And from here, Nakia pours the heart, uh, the heart herb into her mouth, into Shuri's mouth. Nakia pours that uh, concoction into Shuri's mouth to take her to the ancestral plane and give her the powers of the Black Panther. And <clears throat> she drinks this thing, and you can see almost like metallic purple glowing in her cheeks. It's, it's the properties are kind of working its way through her body. And she awakens in the ancestral plane. She's kind of excited to see either, you know, uh, her mother or maybe her brother. And there's this throne with the back to it. And she, you know, even says mother and turns around and she fucking looks at the throne face on. And who does she see? The old Michael B. Jordan Killmonger. Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> she's Killmonger himself, and she's taken it back because obviously Killmonger was the antagonist in the original Black Panther, the first Black Panther movie, and you know she you know, is expecting to see, you know, uh, some of her family, and she sees the bad guy that was responsible for a lot of Wakanda's downfall. So she sees Killmonger instead of her mother, and it's like. She's seeing different sides of herself in a way is the the conclusion I drew from that. But she uh, they has this big old argument with him, and he tries to tell her she's more like him, and she's like, nah. And he's like, well, you can't be like your brother. Your brother was too noble. You've got to be like me to get the job done no matter what. And she ends up awakening from all of this, and she tries to deny that it worked. And she's like so angry and frustrated, she like punches the suit, and the suit just flies against the wall and disintegrates. And so like. No, like, you're definitely the Black Panther now. Like that definitely worked, no matter what you say. So uh, yeah, no matter how she tries to deny it, she's now got the power of the Black Panther. And the scene shifts to Jabari Land, and there are arguments among the elders. And this is where Shuri shows up. She jumps off the ship, and Mbaku does a quick strength test with her, and realizes the Black Panther lives. And everyone starts, you know, cheering. Eh, you know, it's pretty cool. But at this point, they're deliberating what plan and strategy they're going to use for the upcoming battle. And they decide they're going to take the fight to them on their home turf instead of waiting for them to come attack Wakanda again. So, Shuri asks to speak with M'Baku alone. They go back and forth on what makes sense if they risk internal war with this colony. And 
she basically tells him this is what's what. I, I she wants no more dead and tells Mbaku that he is gonna help her make that happen. Basically gives him no option and he is concerned because he's like, oh, like this is all vengeance, this is all anger, this is all, you know, nothing what we stand for. So he's a little bit concerned, you know. And this is a little bit of a theme here, like what this is gonna play a, uh, a role here in later in this movie. But she ends up the, the morning comes and they prepare for war. Nakia asks who she saw, and Shuri still doesn't answer her when talking about it on the ancestral plane. And Asim moves over to the Tolokans, and the Tolokans get word that another vibranium detector was spotted, so they go to go attack that detector, ends up being a trap, and sonic waves start blaring out from this uh, ship, and it starts affecting them. And this is where the battle starts. And they're just, you know, two fucking armies going at it, and spears on spears on different types of weapons, hand-to-hand combat, really cool battle. Uh, eventually, the Tolokanils finally disable the sonic machine, this is where Shuri joins the fight, and she goes on the side of the ship, starts you know, her using her claws, cutting people down off the side of the ship, and uh, they end up getting this whole battle with uh, Namor. She get, he ends up getting shot in the air by Riri, and long story short, they get Namor on the ship with uh, like face-to-face with Shuri in the Black Panther suit, and... They, he ends up realizing, fuck, like, I'm in this damn thing. He's starting to sweat. We see in the air ducts, it's a pervaporation perv- uh, like unit, chamber, or whatever. And he's starting to weaken a little bit, and you can see that their plan looks like it's going to work from here. Now, they start to move out, but the Tlokans put a bunch of water bombs, and all of a sudden, this whole thing explodes. The ship capsizes. These darn whales come flying in. They're throwing the blue people, the Tolokans, from their backs onto this thing. And uh, it's a whole, you know, they think it's over. It's only round one. So, anyways, uh, Griot informs Shuri. And Shuri calls in Okoye, Annika, and Riri with their revamped suits. And so now they are, these three are fighting these guys off with their new suits. And, uh, and while that's going on, Shuri fights with Namor. And... It's like a pretty even fight in the ship, and Namor is able, though, to grab his spear and slam it in the center of the ship, and it destroys it, and it blasts away, and it ends up getting him out of the pervaporation, allowing him to gain some strength back. And now the scene moves back to the Tolokanils uh, and there's them storming the ship, and the defenders are trying to hold them off. The scene moves back to Shuri and Namor, and they're going at it one-on-one, and Shuri is able to, in the, the course of this hand-to-hand combat, like, cut the wing off of Namor's ankle. One of the wings off Namor's ankle and it, it's kind of bloody and gruesome and looks kind of like fucked up but she's like holding it in her hand. <laughs> it's kind of cool. But uh, at this point, Okoye gets her one-on-one rematch with Atuma but this time she's in her new suit and you know it, it tends to be like seems to be a little more even match this time. And while they're fighting on there, the other defenders are doing their best but they're just kind of outnumbered by the Tolokans at this point and M'Baku even says, I, I got this little dialogue here, he says, May the ancestors save us if the princess does not hurry. And Ao says, We may be going to join them. And Annika responds, If so, hey, let us take as many of them with us as we can. And then it goes back to the, the battle between Shuri and Namor, and Shuri gets too cocky. And, you know, she's just like the Oberon Martell. She ends up, you know, thinking that she's won this thing before it's actually over. And this is where he ends up getting the upper hand because he grabs a spear that she didn't see and ends up jabbing it, piercing it through her stomach, all the way through the Black Panther suit and everything into the rock boulders behind her. And 
you know, blood immediately comes out of her mouth, and you're like, fuck, dude, she's fucked. <laughs> like, we're, we got a big problem here. He thinks it's over. He says he needs water. He starts walking back towards the ocean. And as what we assume is Shuri dying, she ends up having a flashback to her conversation with Killmonger, and it's just a continuation of the conversation that we didn't see how it finished before she came back you know, from the ancestral plane. But part of the conversation that wasn't shown was Shuri saying, I am not my brother. No more will beg for my will beg me for mercy as I stand and watch as he dies, and I don't know if this uh, anger ended up giving her the additional strength or whatever it took, but she ended up walking her whole body through the spear. Like she didn't remove the spear from her body. Like no, she broke the end off and walked through it. It was fucking wild. In any event, she pulls her body through the spear and jumps in front of him, blocking Namor's way to the water, and that's where the scene cuts. Uh, no, no, actually, no, I'm sorry. The ship that they had you know, blasted into when he put the spear down and knocked him out of there, that ship erupts in flames and it burns him. And it, like, attack, like, you know, the flames engulf his back and he falls down and he's kind of you know, face up looking up at Shuri who was able to activate the Black Panther suit so the flames didn't affect her. And Namor's on his back and he's weak and she holds the spear to his neck and she ends up having flashbacks of what Namor has done to her family and what she what he did to their city and all this is running through her mind but this is where this type of vision comes in it, it almost looks like the ancestral plane for a second and it's queen ramonda she comes to shuri and she uh, she tells shuri to show namor who she is and so instead of killing him shuri says to namor he, she says yield and wakanda will protect your oceans we will protect your secrets yield and your people will live vengeance has consumed us we cannot let it consume our people. And that's where Namor yields, and they return to their fighting people all across the ships, and they cease the battle. Now here the scene shifts to Wakanda. They're putting things back to normal. They're trying to fix everything that was broken during their battles. Shuri asks Riri in the lab room if she's ready to head home and tells her to take it easy on the homework to hire business so no one else is getting these damn vibranium detectors that put them in this position in the first place. But does end up telling her that, you know, hey, your suit's a great design. I can't let you take it, though. So sorry. But <clears throat> she did not leave her empty-handed. The uh, And the scene shifts to a con... I'm uh, sorry. She does, however, give her the car back that was destroyed earlier when they escaped from MIT. That big red old-school car. We learned that Riri worked on that vehicle with her dad before her dad passed away. So the car had a lot of sentimental value. So when it got destroyed in that high-speed chase with the feds, and end up the, the blue people ended up coming in and hitting that with a spear. They were able to rebuild that car to its former glory. And she even tells her, yeah, we'll have it shipped in already at your house before you even get off the plane. Like, just cool that they've got that kind of power and ability. But in any event, the scene shifts. And Mbaku gets off the ship where the people in, in Jabari land were expecting Shuri. He says the Black Panther sends her regards, but then informs them that he wishes to challenge for the throne. And we don't really know what that's about. I guess we'll find uh, out later on. In any event, <clears throat> the scene moves over to Namor. With his, you see he's got this almost bandage around his ankle where it's wrapped up from where the wings was cut off by Shuri. And his love interest, Namora, approaches him and she's upset that he kneeled to Wakanda. And he explains to her that they're now going to be stronger than ever with the Alliance and that the service world will attack Wakanda and Wakanda will turn to them for assistance. And, you know, basically, we're going to get what we want after all. It just went out about it in a different way. And that's where 
you know, they, 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 this thing, the whole climax is starting to kind of come to a close. Things are wrapping up in the film, and we see this uh, prisoner transport vehicle and some guy in shackles and ends up being Special Agent Ross. He's being transported as a prisoner because he's, you know, treasonous, and his old ex-wife listened in on his conversations and basically said, you're a traitor of the country, so uh, they're going to go put him in probably in the darkest pit they can find. But uh, before they can, they stop in the middle of the road because there's a bunch of trees blocking their way. It's when Okoye shows up, takes out the guards, and frees him. And then Shuri goes to visit Nakia in uh, her country of Haiti. And Nakia ends up setting up the burning ritual at the beach. Shuri goes alone. And kind of full circle from the beginning there with Queen Ramonda, where she didn't throw down her um, funeral garments of the celebration they had for T'Challa. She does do that at this point in time. And she ends up starting to have these memory flashbacks of her brother T'Challa. And she cries some tears. They're not sad tears, almost like lamenting tears of just, you know, like thanks for the memories, like beautiful times, and she's going to miss them. Not, you know, so she ends up, you know, having a, a little cry to herself. And that's where the movie pans out to the credits. And I thought this was really, really cool where, you know, you can kind of see the emotion there. Uh, from her and we're seeing as fans kind of going through the same thing because we're seeing all some of his cool moments and flashbacks of him and their interactions together brother and sister and you know him smiling and you know them being together in certain ways so I thought that was really beautiful and even though the movie panned out to the credits there is a post credit scene and that post credit scene picks back up with Shuri on that beach almost exactly where it was um, when the movie ended and Nakia along with her son Toussaint end up going towards Shuri and ask if they can join her she says they can and, she, and Nakia introduces Toussaint to Shuri and realizes that Toussaint is T'Challa and Nakia's son they, they kept him secret and kept him safe in Haiti keep him away from the throne, keep him away from the politics keep him away from all the stuff that's happening so a little bit of her brother does live on in his son and we also learn that Toussaint is just his name he uses in Haiti but his actual name in their mother tongue is King T'Challa after the original King T'Challa, the son of King T'Chaka, you know. Um, so it was just kind of a beautiful full circle moment. Like I said, a part of him lives on in the sun there. And uh, that's kind of how the movie comes to a close, man. So I don't know. Is there anything that I, I missed in there? Anything you want to add to before you give your takeaways, brother? No, man, it was awesome. You nailed it. Um, one thing I thought was really cool, though, was uh, Okoye. Her blue suit reminded me of, like, the Predator. <laughs> like, the Predator suit. It was badass, so it was really cool. Um, one thing I really loved about this film is based on, you know, kind of... Uh, you could really feel that these actors in this film really were taking their real-life emotions and putting it into play, almost like they were really embodying their characters and kind of pouring out their actual real life emotions in this film based on things that have happened especially with Chadwick uh, so uh, I just thought that was you know it was a really powerful film and one thing that was phenomenal was just the actors uh, in this film the acting was top tier uh, the action was badass uh, I really thought Namor was a fantastic uh, villain and an interesting villain um, what's interesting about this film, a lot of people don't know that 
Uh, actually, the director had already wrote half the script when Chadwick Boseman passed away. So they had to rewrite a lot of this and uh, kind of the turns and twists and turns they decided to take. I think they made a lot of uh, good decisions here. So overall, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it was just my little add-on there for you. Yeah, takeaways for myself, I'll echo a lot of those sentiments. I thought the acting was great. I think the emotion was genuine because of what Jai Boseman did for Marvel as a whole. And honestly, uh, for a lot of people who looked up to him as, as uh, representation of, of people that like, you know, you know, people who can kind of see themselves in the heroes that they watch on screen. So I do believe that uh, the movie itself was, was very strong, especially for having to go back and rewrite part of a script. That that's got to be difficult and to kind of put it in the way that it was. And, and what I really like too about uh, Namor, the villain here, is that he was a villain, but very similarly to, uh, I would say, the New Age villains. They're not bad guys just to be bad guys. He, he these, All his prerogative was was to protect his civilization, keep them a secret, so that way, you know, because he was born in 1571, right? He was born in the 16th century, so he's been around for hundreds of years, and he's seen what the surface people do to each other, like the colonization, taking over, like murdering the natives and stuff. And he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want, you know, uh, the surface world to realize that there's a bunch of resources they have in their own civilization and try to attack them and, and take them over too. So it's not like he's just a bad guy to be a bad guy. Like him being a bad guy, he's just doing bad things for a good cause in a way. It's like, he's trying to protect these. He, all he wanted to do, he wanted to kill one individual. He wanted to kill that one scientist who had the, uh, ability to create the vibranium detector so that way they could remain in secret, you know. And yes, obviously murder is never the answer to anything, but you know, if you end up thinking about it, was that one life worth all the lives that they did end up losing, you know, because they end up having to go to war with Wakanda, uh, the the Tolokan, the Tolokan eels did or whatever you want to call them. But point being is that, you know, he's you can kind of see where he's coming from as a character, and all he wants to do is protect his civilization and protect the life that he's built for his people over these hundreds and hundreds of years. And also, man, like it was unique. A lot, a lot of it, it, you kind of took pieces and parts from other works. Like I said, I, the whole singing of the songs was very similar to the sirens in Greek mythology where they would lure these, people, the, the, these captains of ships out into the sea and then devour them. And then on top of that, you've got the wings on the ankles, very similar to the, god, uh, the, the, the messenger god Hermes. You know, you see him in you know, the Hercules movie, the Disney Hercules movie. Uh, the these blue ends up having the wings on stuff, but just you know, it, it was really cool that they put a few things together from different works and made it work. I guess I can say in in this uh, in this film. So, and I did like the whole cameo that Michael B. Jordan had as Killmonger. There, you probably people probably didn't expect to see that when that first happened. Excited to see maybe T'Challa turn around in that throne, or maybe Queen Ramonda, and you turn in there, and it's the old bad guy, and she's like, "What the hell?" You know, and it was kind of cool too because he almost had that, like, uh, the whole theme of the whole place burning. You saw the whole sides of the ancestral place all of a sudden it turned with flames on it because it was that interior anger that she held on to for so long that that probably um, you know led to what she saw in that in that place. So I just thought it was really cool. My takeaways as a, as a whole was it was a good movie from front to back. Uh, it was a really good sequel, a good follow-up to an already good film in Black Panther. So yeah, dude, I, I, there's not much I had an issue with with the film overall. 
I uh, there's, there's a few things I would like like further explanation on, I guess. Like, what was the deal with the blue people? They, the kind of mask they held over their face was it almost like an oxygen thing, but in reverse was it water? They had to hold things over the gills. Uh, how long could they be out of water for? Because they seem to be fighting just fine when they were on that ship battle and stuff. Like, are they like, you know, there's some things that you can't all get everything answered into, but there's nothing that glaringly stood out that I was like, hmm, this doesn't really make any sense. You know what I mean? So I thought that part was cool. I also thought it was really interesting to have uh, a college student be this prodigy scientist that created this thing at such a young age when, you know, the top tier scientists in the world couldn't figure out how to find vibranium outside of Wakanda and all of a sudden this child does it that was pretty cool and you get to learn a little bit about her backstory I would have liked to see a little bit more from her too and her development as a character but like I said you you can only fit so much into it and it was already a 2 hour and 43 minute film so they did what they could what they had and I've got no complaints you know if I were to kind of give this uh, film a you know Grading scale from one to ten, ten being a, a, a perfect film, I would probably give it a an eight point seven. Man, I thought it was really strong. Uh, what about you? Yeah, it was awesome. Just a, a few extra things here. Um, one thing, kind of uh, going based on what you're saying, I when she sees Killamonger for the first time, I kind of took it as this is just my opinion. I kind of saw it as you know he was talking to her about like you're seeing me because you wanted revenge for your brother like that's why you're seeing me here whereas i feel like uh you know like t'challa it never showed this part but if he like you know he saw his dad in the afterlife in the first one and it's more of the thought of like he was never ever out to really even like for his dad like he was trying to get kind of revenge for his dad he was always more trying to take the high route in a way versus like Shuri, she's really like broken down here. So you can see kind of that emotion and where really she wanted to get the Black Panther not to protect the people, but to get revenge. And that's kind of why I was thinking that. So could be wrong, but just my thoughts. Um, just to touch on that real quick, I, th- I think you're right. And, I, and how I would put it, it was like the darkest parts of herself is what she was seeing. I, I think that was almost... Uh, a metaphor seeing Killmonger was like a metaphor for her bringing out the darkest parts of herself and wanting the revenge because she lost everyone she lost her dad King T'Chaka lost her mom Queen Ramonda lost her brother King T'Challa she lost fucking everyone in her family dude and wherever she turned around like everyone was dropping dead around her so yeah she was a little fucking pissed off so mad at the world she even said one of the quotes in that film was that you know she just wants the world to burn you know, and uh, Namor is like, well, let's burn it together. <laughs> like, that's what he says. So, you know, I think that's a good uh, point that you bring up. But I'll, I'll let you continue on, brother. No, absolutely. I, I thought it was in uh, feeding off you here, just like you said, with the anger, with, you know, the fire on the walls. If you look close, one thing I thought was really cool uh, was her suit was a combination of T'Challa and Killmonger. So it had the gold and the silver, which is really, really cool. And uh, kind of a question here before we go into the debates. I think they, well, kind of a statement on my end, but then I definitely want to get your take on it. So I think they make the right decision here. Like when Chadwick passed away, unfortunately, um, it was such a shock to, you know, the fantasy world, us here in the Marvel community. They even thought about possibly recasting it. And I just don't think that's the way to go like i don't think you can really honor his memory that way 
And um, there was a lot of controversy that went on with like them doing it this way and them kind of bringing his um, passing more into this movie where it was more shown versus kind of just letting it go and kind of like brushing it over um, and then making Shuri the lead. Me personally, this is just my personal opinion, I think they made the right decision with making Shuri the lead and it wouldn't be, it just wouldn't be seen right with someone else being in that same Black Panther role and then still claiming his name. I just don't feel like that's the right way to do uh, with someone passing under these circumstances. Um, It's not like you have a contract that expired or something like that. That's not what was planned. Um, And I feel like, in my opinion, I feel like Shuri uh, could take over the role. I think she played it very well. I was actually really impressed with the way she handled the role and really brought her emotions into it. And I feel like she could be a force going forward, which is a debate for uh, in just a moment in this episode later on. But do you feel like they did this the right way and do you think it was done right with how they chose to take the turn to bring uh praise to chadwick's legacy and his life here and make shuri um you know the new black panther versus recasting him so i think overall there are some changes I would make, but I think to answer your question, yeah, I, I believe they went the correct route. To your point, I don't think you can recast the Black Panther, have him named King T'Challa, and act like this guy has been the guy the whole way through. Uh, you know, Chadwick Boseman did too much in that role to have it go out like that. So I think having his passing touched on in the film was great and having sure he take over the role made sense to me the only little tweak i would have added is that somewhere in there you know because like, i feel like they could have gone one of three ways they could have done uh like we just mentioned a recast fully of the character they could have went the way that they did go or they could have tried to do the whole paul walker cgi thing where they find someone that looks very similar to chadwick boseman and then cgi like Chadwick Boseman, so it looks like it's him on there. But, you know, uh, I do believe they did the right thing. But what I was saying, the little tweak I would have made, is I would have loved to see one final interaction, communication between Shuri and T'Challa, but T'Challa being Chadwick Boseman. Like, maybe before the episode closed out, maybe to see him in the distance, like, watching over her and his son that like he left behind in Haiti or something just almost how Queen Ramonda came to her in the middle of her battle with Namor and that ancestral quick like the uh, inverse of the the planes there I would like to see something like that before it closed out maybe in the distance seeing Chadwick Boseman you know looking over on his sister uh, and his son or maybe even just having a conversation with her letting him know that she he's proud of her and what she's done I would like to that that's the only changes I probably would have made to it but I think the the route they took was probably the best route available. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I think they made a great choice there. Um, I think it, in my opinion, just your opinion on this, uh, do you think they did it the correct way with kind of honoring his passing uh, in actual scenes of the film, like the funeral and that sort of thing? Or do you think they should have just kind of glossed 
over it and moved on. I think they, I, because this was like a big question, um, a big topic of debate in the entertainment world when this came out, because people were saying uh, maybe it could be seen as disrespectful. I think it'd be almost disrespectful not to mention it at all. And I think it was great the way they did it, especially even in the beginning, you know, instead of seeing like the other Avengers, like you saw just him. And, you know, at the very end there, they said dedicated to Chadwick Boseman, and then they saw his passing. And I I thought it was good the way they did it, um, just because it was more of, it really showed, like, he was the Black Panther. Like, he will always be seen as Black Panther, just like, you know, just an example, like, I, Hugh Jackman will always be Wolverine. <laughs> you can't just go uh, recast Hugh Jackman. So I thought it was great the way they did it um just my personal opinion what's your thoughts on that yeah for the funeral itself yeah the thing is i still think they glossed over it a bit i i would have liked to see even more you know but I, I i get what they had to do and i thought they hit a good middle ground because you never saw his face you never saw anything like honestly the only time you saw his face is when they were doing flashbacks of memories that Shuri had of him or if we saw like the this title sequence hit and stuff so it's not like we saw him uh, on a open casket type of deal and his actual face mm-hmm. or anything we didn't get to see anything all we got to see was Queen Morana come in and say your brother's with the ancestors now then it cut right to them carrying that casket type thing uh, with everyone mm-hmm. celebrating the life around him the in the, in the white garments and stuff so like, I just don't know what less you could have done. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? If you did anything less, I like, I agree with you. I think that'd been even more disrespectful. It's like, like as if it wasn't even important to to acknowledge the fact that this guy meant something to the world. You know what I mean? Not like like I mean just our world, but the world of Wakanda too. Like, yeah, like it's just, yeah. No, I I think that they did. They made the right call, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, just on the funeral scene itself, like I thought it was very interesting the take they took on how you know the casket gets just sucked up into that alien ship versus just like buried i thought it was really cool kind of like ascending into the heavens or something so it's cool stuff but yeah man that's just my uh thoughts uh do you want me to kick it off with the debates for the day yeah man go ahead and get into your debate my debate for the day so i have two so the first one is now that shuri is the black panther what kind of lead will she be in the future do you think she's going to be a star lead for the avengers in the future and then the other one is the second part of this is namor now that we've seen he is alive so we have seen the body in the words of jay nelly <laughs> so he is alive do you think he's going to kind of play this like vegeta type rules since we mentioned dragon balls earlier he's going to come back around and kind of help the squad and become like an avenger himself with the uh you know the namor people i guess we can call them the namor natives the telokanils yeah no but uh to answer the first part of the question yeah i would i would hope so i think that does a lot for diversity and inclusion if we have shuri as a as a lead character moving forward in there you know i think there's a lot of cool initiatives like that obviously the scarlet witch is playing a prominent role you know you have shuri playing the black panther i think that would be great to have her in a prominent role then you have peter parker a young kid kind of taking a prominent role too like it's it's the ushering the new guard kind of and i think it, it does a lot for not just the fantasy fiction world but also like like shows people in the real world that you know 
people who look like you, you can do things that they're doing things and you can do anything that they can do too. So uh, I think that would be a smart move if they continue to push her as a, as a mainstay going forward into the Marvel universe. Uh, Like I, I think that they should. And I think that it doesn't make sense to switch it. The only thing I could see, but again, this would be years down the road is if Shuri decides that she's going to pass the mantle down to the son, you know, the next T'Challa after he becomes of age, you know, and, and he's, you know, the son of, of King T'Challa. He would be rightfully his anyways, just based on the way the throne passes, you, you know, how that goes, right? So that's the only time I could think of it is, like, she decides, hey, you know what, I'm a better scientist and I'm a Black Panther, you know, I don't know. I, the thing is, like, I just don't think it's, like, a choice, you know. I think that you know, they've got to be able to go through that ritual and that and, and pass it on the way, and they've got to earn it in a way, too. So it's not just, like, a, a full-blown choice, but the only way I could see her not being that is if it ends up somehow through some convoluted way going to the son, Toussaint, which, well, you know, that's just his Haitian name, but you know, King T'Challa Jr., <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the only way I could see it not going that way, but I think, for, at least for the foreseeable future, the next few years, she'll be an integral part of the Marvel Universe as the Black Panther. That would make sense for me. Now, to go into what you asked me about Namor, and look, it's not one of those things where we didn't see about it. We knew he survived it because he's the one that told his people to stop fighting, right? And then he just, you know, yeah. ended up doing all that. But the thing is, is that it's one thing I'm a little bit concerned about is shit. Like, I'm thinking he might do the opposite of Vegeta where, like, he makes you think that he's with you and all of a sudden <laughs> pulls a fucking shysty. You know, like, well, the way, because the way that uh, his love interest Namora was saying, like, oh, I, I didn't... I can't believe you kneeled to these guys. And he's like, well, trust me, like this is a good position. I couldn't tell if that was him, you know, comforting her and telling her, Hey, this was the right choice. Like as a civilization, us working together. Or if he was saying like, Hey, we're going to gain their trust. They're going to come to us. And like at the right time, we'll get our get back basically. So I don't know if that was the case or not, but I, I just don't know if I trust that guy, you know, I just don't know. So I think it's even possible that, he pretends like he's going to be someone that helps him and ends up turning on him down the road. I would not be surprised if that happens. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, I, I, I almost see that happening before I see him being an Avenger. I mean, I think he'll come to aid because he hates the surface world so much. So he's going to want to take out, you know, the humans. But, like, for Kang the Conqueror, so to speak, I, I, I don't know if maybe he fights. I don't think he fights against him. I don't, I don't not, I'm not sure. I just... I think he's biding his time to stab him in the back when the moment's right. That's just my own personal opinion. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I'm willing to stand on it and say I was wrong if I am. But it's something, just something about that guy didn't sit right with me, man. So he's he's cool and he was powerful and he was a villain. But I don't know. I don't think he's one of those people that just takes submission like that, you know. So I guess we'll see. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts are for the first part. I think Shuri's definitely going to kind of embrace this role. Now, I do think at some point down the road, like maybe it's like, you know, maybe like the fourth Black Panther. Who knows? Like maybe, you know, that's when, you know, you really start seeing the T'Challa Jr. kind of starts embracing that role there. But I think especially for, you know, the most upcoming Avengers movies, which... Side note, apparently, which this is just from my knowledge, uh, from what I've heard, is the guy that plays King the Conqueror was cleared of charges. So I guess they're good on that end, so he will be the big bad guy. So it'd be cool to see, you know, sure he really team up with these people in the future. I think it'd be sick. 
But see, I saw Namor for the second part of that. I was thinking maybe, you know, so you have Namora trying to cause her shit here. Kind of like some, like if you look at House of Dragon, like how you have the white worm there. But now Namor's trying to turn a new leaf here. And then Shuri and these people get backed into a corner. He goes and saves the day. But then Namora fucks everyone over. <laughs> so that's kind of how I see it. So like, like Vegeta says, does a machine like you experience fear? <laughs> so that's what, that's what I think. It's just my thoughts. I don't know. Who really knows? But I do think Shuri did play a good Black Panther. So I really hope she can really start to embrace kind of this role in the future and i can see her as as dominant as like t'challa was because you know we saw him in captain america civil war we saw him in avengers endgame and infinity war and he was just a fucking force and sure he was in her own like i mean she is in her own but she's not like you know let's put it this way like t'challa was fucking flipping over cars and splitting them in half like take it on killmonger like that's a whole nother thing so i hope she can become that kind of force in the future for the time that we have but i think maybe at some point that's why you kind of pass the torch but yeah what debates do you have man yeah man uh on my end here i'm curious like i what do you believe is going to be this end result of this conflict between the United Nations and Wakanda. Do we think it's going to be a full-out war? And on this war, how does the United Nations stand any chance unless they're going to use some sort of mutants to attack Wakanda? Like, I don't want to say the Avengers themselves, but the beings like the Avengers. And where does that? Where do they pull those from? Now, I guess I guess want to talk a little bit about that. Like this whole potential upcoming conflict between the United Nations and Wakanda. Yeah, it really makes it for an interesting vibe here, and I, I really don't know the future like I haven't I mean they could pull this from anywhere this isn't from the comics this is just my actual thoughts it could be like one of those things leading into this whole Avengers secret wars that they're trying to pull off like that could be one of the wars on the side that you have going on while you have all this shit going on with Doctor Strange and the multiverse and stuff like all these different battles on the front here uh, so I mean I think that's kind of going to be one of the battles on the ground kind of thing. Like, you're going to have these people, like, Shuri's going to be there, but then you might have, like, Daredevil, you know, Charlie Cox. We got him introduced in Spider-Man. You have the people on the ground taking care of the ground shit, like Peter Parker and stuff. Let Wanda Max off if she turns a new leaf or Doctor Strange, all that shit. They can deal with that multiverse with Loki. They can deal with that shit. But I think this is going to kind of be, like, the ground fight, but... I, it's interesting because I don't know really who, like, the international, like, agency, whatever you want to call them, like, really has on their side. Like, I know they're trying to do, like, this scroll stuff with Captain Marvel. Like, who do they really have that can fight against Wakanda? Like, unless you really use Namora, maybe Namora winds up siding with the International Intelligence Agency and then turns their back on everybody. Like, that could be something that happens, but I really don't know what they have on that side. But, yeah, I think it uh, it's definitely not going to end well, in my opinion. What's your thoughts? I think it's got to be something crazy because you're not just going to uh, instigate a war with the most powerful nation on the earth but if you don't have anything to really 
stand up to them with, you know? And we, the reason I bring that up is we saw the French mercenaries try to go in and take that vibranium, and they got dragged in front of the whole United Nations and, like, will you guys stop messing with us? Because, like, right now we're being nice, but we could be a whole lot worse if we wanted to. So, like, obviously we got to know that those are not the best that they've got. Because if it's going to be like that, it's going to be a quick war, right? So there's got to be some secret thing that the United Nations have that we don't know about. There's got to be some sort of quote-unquote suicide squad, but the Marvel edition or something that they're holding back on us from. And maybe we're going to get that down the road. But, man, like, they got to have something or else there's no way in hell that they would sit here and challenge Wakanda and try to, you know, take that over to just for vibranium, right? Because what it reminds me for is like the, the oil wars in the real world. Like, you know, we go in there and try to take their oil and stuff. And, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of that. But the thing is... We've got the weapons and ability to do that. I don't think the United Nations has weapons and ability to take over Wakanda, especially now that Shuri's taken back the Black Panther mantle, and also all these new suits that Koye has, Annika has, Nakia's this war spy. Like, you, what, what are you gonna do, man? Like, you know for damn sure that that you know the Avengers aren't gonna sit here and fight against Wakanda, right? They're probably gonna take Wakanda's side. So you gotta have something. And the only thing I think of is just some sort of secret fucking thing that we don't know about like i said i think we're gonna have the the suicide squad but marvel edition going on and maybe they have some cool assassinations or something i there's just some things cool to pull from and maybe give some ideas here and there but it, it, there's that's the only way because i just don't, i don't see namora going against like just her herself i don't think she's an important enough character to think that she's going to turn the tide against anyone you know i just i don't see it yeah, she was an okay general, an okay like fighter. I just don't think she's important enough or strong enough to really uh, raise anything that significant. So I just, uh, I just, I'm just curious as to what they've got up their sleeve for when they decide Wakanda's weak enough to attack. Because it's like I said, it's it's gotta be fucking something. Yeah, I agree. She's not Grand Admiral Thrawn. <laughs> so I mean, we'll see what happens. Oh, by the way, to answer the question that I forgot to answer, how I would grade this <laughs> film, uh, I would get, you know, I'm, oh, man, I really want to give it an A, but like you said, it makes me wonder about the whole mask thing. I got it took that as, like, maybe that was, like, an oxygen mask, but then Atuma took it off and put it on Shuri, and he was fine. So, yeah, man, I'm... I'm going to give it with an 8.9. I think that's fair. 8.9. I think that's good. And with that, I'll let you close us out, man. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Well, folks, this is the first time that you've tuned into us. We really hope you enjoy what you heard today. It's been a pleasure giving it to you. And for those who've been with us since the very beginning, thank you for continuously being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. If you want to find us, uh, we're on all the social network platforms. You can find us on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. We're on TikTok at ridiculous Patronus. Got a backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We have a Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. YouTube page, Ridiculous Patronus. RP Factor Fantasy on Twitter. RP Factor Fantasy on Snapchat. And we do have our own website as well, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. So check us out on all those platforms. Click like, subscribe, view, comment. All the engagement means a lot to us. Now in terms of the podcast and where you can follow along and listen if you're an apple user you can find us on apple podcast if you're an android user we're on google play we're on amazon music we're on audible we're on stitcher we're on acast iheart radio our own host site podbean 
literally wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. But we are out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, signing off. off.